0: The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. We've
1: been working our way passage by passage through the book of Genesis, and today the next passage we come to is Genesis 38, 1 through 30, so I'll be reading a selection of verses from that passage. It says, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite, whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Kizib when she bore him, and Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was uh, Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears. He and his friend Hira the Adolamite. And when Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who is at Enam at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. About three months later, Judah was told, "Tomorrow, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And she was being brought out She sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify those, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her again. May God bless the reading of his word.
0: Let's pray. Father, indeed, your word, as uh, Psalm 19 says, is more to be desired than gold and sweeter also than honey. Every passage that describes. And so, Lord, help us to see its value and to taste its sweetness and to experience its power uh, this morning through the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as you may have been thinking during the scripture reading a moment or two ago, the uh, story that's recorded in Genesis 38 isn't exactly the most family-friendly story in the Bible. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if uh, this wasn't in the Bible and instead came out in the form of a, maybe a movie, let's say, those of you who are parents probably would not let your children see that movie. It would have to be rated at least PG-13, probably even R. The events of this chapter are presented to us in a very direct manner and with a level of detail that's uh, a bit uncomfortable at times. So there is certainly no Instagram filter uh, making these things look better. And yet, that's actually something that we can appreciate about the Bible. See, the Bible doesn't rewrite history, but instead tells it the way things really happened. And in passages like Genesis 38, it makes it clear that the characters we encounter aren't larger-than-life heroes, but rather sinners in need of a Savior. For those of you who have been with us for a while on our journey through Genesis, perhaps you've picked up on that as a recurring theme Of the book. Genesis isn't about heroes of the faith obtaining God's favor through their moral greatness. Instead, it's about God showing incredible mercy to really messed up people whose lives are often the opposite of exemplary. You know, I sometimes hear people talking about how the Old Testament is really difficult for them to accept because it's just filled with nothing but God's wrath all the time. And whenever someone says something like that, I just want to ask, like, have you ever actually read the Old Testament? Now, of course, there are plenty of instances of God's wrath being poured out in particularly dramatic and memorable ways, such as You know, who could forget the the fire that came down from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And other similar instances. Yet, as I read through the book of Genesis, and really through the, the entire Old Testament, the theme that repeatedly jumps out at me, most strikingly, isn't God's wrath, but rather God's mercy. Over and over and over again, I read descriptions of people behaving in incredibly wicked ways. And yet, instead of pouring out on them the judgment they deserve, God's unbelievably gracious to them. And so as I read a book like Genesis, I'm left scratching my head as I wonder not, how could God be so wrathful? But instead, as I wonder, how could God be So gracious. And Genesis 38 is a great example of that. So let's look at the events that unfold in this chapter, beginning in verses 1 through 5. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hiram. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shuah. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onam. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shalem. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. Now, the first thing I think we should notice is in verse 1, where it states that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. So Judah stopped spending so much time with his brothers and instead started spending a lot more time with a Canaanite man named Hira, who, just like the rest of the Canaanites, would have been thoroughly pagan. And there's a reason this detail is recorded in the passage. It's intended to be a signal that something bad is about to happen. As we read about Judah spending less time with his brothers and more time with this pagan guy, Hira, we begin to get the sense that this probably isn't going to end well. And that suspicion is indeed confirmed in the rest of the chapter. So right here at the outset, we have a reminder of the importance of being around people who are going to influence us in a good way instead of in a bad way. That's why it's so important for those of us who are Christians to not only be a part of a church, but to be deeply embedded in the relational community of that church. Living in community with other Christians in that way is absolutely essential. It it provides us with both spiritual encouragement and spiritual protection and accountability. Because you have to understand that we have an enemy called Satan, who, as 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he would love to pick us off one at a time. I remember watching this uh, wildlife documentary one time that featured a predator, I think it was a Leopard or something like that, uh, hunting a herd of gazelles. And the first thing he did was to separate one of the gazelles from the rest of the herd. Before he, he did anything, that was his first order of business, before he then pursued and overtook that gazelle. Similarly, Satan loves to separate us and get us alone. If he can, so that he can take us on one on one, knowing that if he can do that, the odds are in his favor. Therefore, one of the best safeguards against Satan is for us to develop meaningful relationships with other Christians. And uh, by the way, in our church, a great place to do that is, of course, community groups. So back in Genesis 38, the statement that Judah turned aside from his brothers creates a sense of foreboding as we wonder where this path Judah's taking will ultimately lead him to go. We then read in verses 2 through 5 how Judah marries a Canaanite woman. Again, remember the Canaanites were thoroughly pagan. They had no knowledge of God or devotion to God. That's why Abraham had made his servant Eliezer take a solemn oath in Genesis 24.3. He said, Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Then in Genesis 28.1, Isaac had said something similar to Jacob. It states, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. So both Abraham and Isaac had strictly uh, forbidden marriage to a Canaanite. Like, they knew how godless the Canaanites were. And Judah would have certainly been aware of that prohibition. So what does Judah do? Well, of course, he goes off and marries a Canaanite. Apparently, Judah um, was so attracted to this woman that he just couldn't help himself. He, he became infatuated with this Canaanite who isn't named in the passage, but is simply referred to as the daughter of Shuah. He takes her and marries her and has three children with her. The names of these children are Ur, Onan, and Shalem. We then read this in verses six and seven. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death."